Welcome to the Mapped Out Money Podcast, where we help you understand finance and manage your money so you can get on with living your adventure. You're listening to episode number 64. And today's episode is brought to you by Ahead M100. Ahead in 100 is our group coaching program where we help you uh, with our step-by-step framework to actually start using your money to do more of what matters to you. We help you learn how to track your money. We help you get really clear on the vision that you have for your life and what you care about and what you want to focus on and setting goals. And then we help you make sure that you've implemented a budget that will actually work to help you hit those goals and create that vision. If that sounds like something that would be helpful for you, we'd love for you to check it out. Just go to aheadin100.com. I really like today's episode because it's all animal themed. So why don't you tell us why we're talking about bison and ostrich? Is ostrich the plural of o- ostriches? Is it ostrich? O- ostrich eye. It's not ostrich eye. <laughs> <laughs> I don't got it. Uh, yeah. So uh, I've been following Rich Froning, uh, who is a CrossFit champion, sort of. Uh, world-renowned fitness guy, um, actually based out of Tennessee, which is kind of cool. But uh, I really like him for a lot of reasons. One, of course, he's just really fun to watch. He's super fit, and he's a great competitor. But one of the coolest parts about uh, why I really like him is he started this, like, I don't know, uh, empire, if you will, with these, like, multiple businesses he's got all off the back of, you know, building a reputation about he's being like super fit. He's like Joanna Gaines of CrossFit. That's right. Yeah, he's exactly like that. He's built himself a little mecca in Cookville, Tennessee. And he's got, you know, he's got this uh, Buffalo Brew coffee. He's got this big gym with these training programs and all their fitness stuff. Uh, and then he's got all these athletes that are, you know, they're training. And then he also has this um, this brand that is Bison Jerky. And it's uh, Froning Farms, but all their T-shirts say "Into the Storm," and I think we may have mentioned this on the on the podcast a couple weeks back. But I was curious about what that meant. And I started reading, and it turns out that bison are some of the only uh, mammals that, when a storm is coming, they will actually uh, not run from the storm like most will, they'll try to outrun it, Uh, and they won't stay still and just try and hide. They will actually turn, face the storm, and start going into it and start uh, walking into the storm because somehow they intuitively know that if, you know, if the storm is heading east and they start walking west and go right into the thing, then the total amount of time that they're in the storm will be less. And so it's just like a really, I don't know, I just felt like it was so hardcore and such like a cool thing for like, wow, that is so awesome. These bison are so intense that they they just walk straight into this thing. And it really, to me, had a lot of parallels for our finances because so many of us feel like we're in a, a financial storm a lot of the time. We, we don't know what's going on. We're getting beaten up and battered by these, you know, financial winds or financial rains, if you will, that are, you know, causing all these problems. And if we could just be like bison and actually face this storm head on and start moving into it and start moving through it, we would get out the other side so much faster. Yeah, because I think the direct comparison was between like bison and cows. Yes. And cows like run away from the storm. They run away from it. And so they end up staying in it a whole lot longer. And so when you're not planning before you have to plan and you're you're just letting things come at you and trying to deal with them as they come, you're kind of just quote unquote getting by. 
you end up being in those storms so much longer. So much longer. Yeah. Yeah. And so I mentioned this on a uh, on a group coaching call on a Q&A session we had a few weeks ago. And uh, one of our coaches, Taj, she she really latched onto this idea and really liked it. And and we all were kind of kicking this idea around. And she came up with this concept of you know, when you're not acting like a bison and you are not walking into the storm, maybe you're running away from it or hiding from it. But this concept like of an ostrich who sticks their head in the sand, you're just avoiding the problem, right? You don't want to look at your money. You don't want to you don't want to log in and check your bank accounts. You don't. You certainly don't want to use any kind of budgeting tool that's going to show you where things are at. Uh, you just want to avoid the problem. And so that's where sort of this this initial concept of uh, you can be a, a financial bison, if you will, and attack your problems head on, work through them, get to the other side, uh, or you can be a, a financial ostrich and avoid them. Then what we we did was we kind of came up with um, some further defining of okay well if that's true right if being a financial bison means moving into the into the storm what what does that actually mean like what does that look like and if you're not uh, what does it look like to be a financial ostrich so to to be a financial bison if you will would mean to think long term first and foremost you're you're planning you're looking down the path and looking for where those storms might be coming. The next thing would be to acknowledge like your current situation and then actually focus on where you're headed. We, we talk about this. James Clear has this great quote of uh, how your current situation doesn't really matter that much. What matters is your trajectory. Um, what direction are you headed in? Not necessarily where you're currently at on the road towards the habits you want to build or the success you want to have. The next thing we wrote down was that financial bison take action. They're they're not passive creatures, right? They're not they're not hiding under a rock. They're actually facing the storm and they're making a conscious decision to walk into it. They're not just standing there and going like, "Oof, I hope this doesn't hurt too bad." You know, when it when it hits me. And so the, let's dive a little bit into what that means, like with finances specifically, like to take action. Like if you're in debt, you work to pay it off aggressively. You're spending according to your values and you're balancing like investing for the future with enjoying your money now. Like those are the things that we kind of think as the the action for the yeah. bison. Well, a big part of, of of action is even starting to do things like this. I mean, like, I think I think financial bison listen to episodes like this, right? I think they listen to podcasts like this. Because if you're totally, totally one hundred percent just ignoring, you're not even gonna listen to a podcast. Yeah, totally. About money. And I do think a big part of it is, you know, we, we've talked about before, uh, I think Dan and, and Chip from the book, The Power of Habit, they, they, I think I'm, I'm pretty sure it was them that, that wrote this stat that, that I'm spouting off, which is roughly 50% of all the decisions you make on a daily basis are based in habit. Uh, you're not consciously thinking about them. These are really big decisions, really small decisions, just little bitty things you do throughout your life. And financial bison don't subconsciously make financial decisions. Yeah. They don't just let their habits and routines and the influences around them uh, uh, slip into ways of spending money. They actually really consciously think about, do I want to pay off my debt? Do I want to save more? Do I want to spend? What What are my values? And how can I spend according to them? Those kind of things. So on the flip side, what's a financial ostrich? Yeah. I mean, it'd be easy to just say, well, a financial op- ostrich is like the opposite right, of that. But I, I do think to flesh it out a little bit more, a big piece of the financial ostrich would mean um, not planning, meaning you're you're only focused on the present. You're just thinking about today. 
You're just thinking about maybe even the next hour from now. You're not at all thinking about the long term or the storms that are coming um, down the down the road that, that you might, you know, get hit by. They're just trying to get by. That sort of that's the language, right? I'm just trying to get by. And oftentimes financial ostrich, going back to this concept of the bison take action, uh, financial ostrich would typically believe that they don't have a lot of power over the ability to take action. And so they believe more that life just kind of happens to them. All oh, the storms come. There's nothing I can do about it. There's nothing I can do when they get here. Um, I just I have to focus on the here and now and try to try to get by as best I can. I think a financial ostrich, especially with that image of them, you know, sticking their head in the sand, it, like it does mean they are active, right? So if they're active in anything, it would be active in avoiding their finances. They don't know how much they owe if they're in debt. They don't know what their net worth is. They don't know what their asset totals are. Uh, they don't know where their money's going every month. If you ask them how much they spend on groceries, they couldn't tell you, right? They just don't know because they are avoiding. And I think the biggest thing with the ostrich is I think somebody in this situation would tell you that they're just trying to like hold steady. Totally. You know, and that they think that by doing this, they're actually doing a decent job of holding steady. But in reality, you're just getting further and further and further behind. You just don't even see it because you're working so hard to ignore it. Well, and this goes back to the episode that we recorded uh, last week's episode that came out with the sort of, um, certainly for U.S. history, the sort of U.S. history for Morgan Housel laying out how the U.S. got to the financial situation that we're in. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty clear that through a combination of, we could argue why this happens, through a combination of, you know, technology increasing combined with federal quantitative easing and inflation combined with even like, my my engineering you know professors would tell you that the world is just full of entropy and that causes all of this disorder and chaos and that the natural state of things is to quote unravel all that to say there is no such thing as staying stagnant with your finances if you are not moving you are moving you're just moving backwards mm-hmm. and you may not feel it because inflation is eroding your savings it's eroding what your purchasing power can do and if you're not getting at minimum a two or three percent, you know, pay raise every year, then your income's not keeping keeping up with inflation. And if you're just holding money in a savings account because you're not thinking about it, that's not keeping up with inflation. If you're not paying off your debt, that's getting eaten away by the interest plus the inflation. So you're right. I think a financial ostrich would say, "I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to hold right, I'm trying to get by." Um, but in reality, they're sinking further and further. Uh, behind from where they want to be. I think a real obvious place that I've seen this is in healthcare. And so when I worked in nursing homes, I worked with a lot of stroke patients. And I saw a lot of people who for years, you know, had been aging and things had been getting a little bit harder, a little bit harder, a little bit harder, a little bit harder. Some of those people had chosen to acknowledge, like, I really want to maintain as much independence as I can. And so as I notice these things that I'm having a hard time doing independently, I'm going to actively look for ways that I can make little changes to allow myself to do those things still. So for example, I might work with one patient who um, lived in like a two or three story house 
and, you know, had noticed like stairs were really getting hard for me and it was just a lot to take care of. And, you know, so I ended up like asked my kids to help me downsize and whatever. So I downsized to this house and it still has a few stairs to get in. But after a few years of living there, I noticed that that was kind of getting a little bit harder. So I actually got my son to help me build a ramp. So these people, you know, they had done all of these little things along the way and then they would have a stroke, but it was much easier for them to be able to go back home because they had been they had been actively doing little things along the way to try to maintain their independence and so they they already had a, a ramp they already had a bedroom that was on their main floor they already had a bathroom that was big enough for them to get in and out of with a walker like you know they had kind of thought ahead in these things and so while that's hard to do and can almost be a little bit depressing to do they ended up with more independence and able to go back home. Whereas like the patient who kind of stuck their head in the sand and never, never wanted to leave the two story house because that was the house that they had been in Mm -hmm. forever. And, you know, didn't really want to to pretend that that's not happening. Yeah. And I think people think that it's like, you're like giving into it or whatever, but you end up doing less. Yeah. And like, like if you have a really hard time going up and downstairs, most people, aren't going to be like, well, I'm just going to work really hard and, you know, whatever. And not to mention safety, Mm -hmm. but most people are just going to end up avoiding it. They just end up going out less. They don't go get their own groceries. They have somebody deliver them for them, like all of these things. And so you would see a big dichotomy between the people who had the bison mentality of like, what can I do to actively make my situation and my independence the best that it can be versus the ostrich. I'm just going to stick my head in the sand and kind of pretend like everything's staying the same because I don't really want to change anything. I just want to stay the same. And it's like, not, it's not staying the same. It's not going Like it's getting worse. And so those people, if they had a stroke, they, they would normally go from our facility to like a a long-term care place because they couldn't go back to their house and their family was trying to deal with all of these different dynamics of like, do we sell the house? Do we do this? Do we do that? You know, like there, there's no way to even make this house accessible. So, you know, it just, you saw it very blatantly in that setting. Yeah. Well, and I think it, it happens in just about every setting and, and, you know, obviously as Christians, you know, you and I would, would say our worldview believes us or leads us to, to believe that, you know, Hey, we live in a fallen world and we live in a world that is full of sin, and that causes uh, this sort of natural decay, this sort of natural slow death of everything, mm-hmm. and that that leads back to sort of that entropy thing. And even if you don't believe that, that's fine. But you can just look around and see that sort of everything seems to be falling apart over time, unless you actively work against that, right? Like you're saying with the, with the health, but the same as when in your finances. If you stick your head in the sand and you just don't think about it, the natural order, the natural state is it's probably going to decay. And so you've got to find active ways to overcome that decay uh, so that you can come out the other side. Okay, so I think we can all see the benefits of being a bison, but why don't we all choose to be that way? Yeah, it's it's hard, right? I, I mean, I, I think a big piece of this is is having shame around around your past, right? Where we're scared to deal with it. And it takes us about two seconds to look into the future and realize that if we are going to deal with this, we're probably going to have to face some regret. Well, and- that and also just like 
so much shame that you're embarrassed for anybody to know that you're even trying to work on it. Yeah. You know, like, like, Oh, I already have this in order. I don't need help with it. That's, that's kind of the image that you want to put off. I think, I think, and I think we can be ashamed. Um, we don't want to be honest with ourselves either, you know, because we're going to feel shame around that. Yeah. I, I think, I think the shame piece is a huge, huge piece that keeps the vast majority of people from actually engaging and dealing with this. Yeah. And I I think the thing to recognize is like uh, probably 98% of the people around me need to be looking into these same things that I'm looking into and they're just too embarrassed to look into it. So I just need to know that. And whenever I have those feelings of shame or embarrassment or whatever, if they know that I'm, I'm working on these things, then I just need to know like, well, chances are they probably need to work on it too, but they're just not. So I, I shouldn't feel that shame and just not that you can always make the feeling go away, but just like acknowledging that it's not, um, it's not true. It's not true that like everybody else has it in order and you don't. Yeah. And I, I think it's, uh, I've said this before, but I wish that I wish everyone could just for 30 seconds get exposed to what I've been so lucky to be exposed to through like coaching people with their money is that I've seen uh, every income level. Uh, from top to bottom, I've seen every um, career path, every type of profession, uh, every family structure, no kids, single, tons of kids, like, and all ages in between. And everyone, they all deal with shame and regret and unhappiness around uh, decisions they've made with their money. And it's not limited to just you. And I think if people could see that and know that, then they wouldn't feel so alone, even if they don't have people in their life yet that they can talk to this stuff about, then they at least maybe wouldn't feel like it's just me. Because I think it's so easy when you're just living your normal life and you see people driving certain cars or living in certain places or your family or your friends or your coworkers, it, no one talks about this stuff. And in the US, the vast majority of it of it is financed with debt. So you're able to sort of prop your lifestyle up Mm -hmm. and you don't actually know what's going on behind the scenes. They might be dealing with just as much shame around their money as you, but we don't talk about it culturally. And so you feel alone. Yeah. This makes me think too about like, um, like kids and college and careers and all that stuff. Like I was just trying to think of other areas where we really obviously do this. And I think about when we ask kids, you know, what they want to be when they grow up and the ones who I, and I was one of these, I'm not, I mean, I am hating on them, but I was one Yeah. Uh, who from seventh grade was like, oh yeah, I can tell you exactly what I want to be and what I want to do. And like, I took real comfort mm-hmm. in that. And I, I think we can feel this pressure to like, yeah, act like I've got this all together. I know my path. I know what I'm doing. But you're actually, even though it doesn't feel like it, I think you're further ahead when you're in the boat of saying, like, I don't know what I want to do. I'm, like, really actively looking into a lot of things, exploring a lot of options, like, you know, really keeping your eyes open to all that's available instead of narrowing yourself in, even though it makes it feel like you're behind or you know, you're the only one who doesn't have it together or whatever. I think that's very much like the same thing that we do it with is. our finances. And it's hard to sit in that. And so what happens is you you are going to feel shame if you don't have it together. Yeah. And you haven't decided. So what, what, do, what kid, do you do? What is like the most shameful something. thing? Like when you're when you're like, you know, early teen yeah. to like 
20s or Everybody asks, 30s like, or whatever. Well, where are you going to go to college? Yeah, and you're like, mm, I don't know. I don't know. Or I might not go. Like, that just yeah. sucks. It sucks. That's yep. like a really bad feeling. Yep. And that's how it is with your finances when when you're the only one who's, like, willing to admit, like, yeah, this is something that I'm really not happy with exactly where I am right now, and I'm, I'm going to work on this and like everybody around you is like oh you need to work on that mm. yeah well and it's like they do too that's probably. what's that's what's funny right is that you don't even have to tell anybody about it but the sheer fact of you starting to work on your money it's going to come out at some point probably because your life will start changing a little bit yeah. right if you're really really focused on your debt pay down for example then you might say no to going out with your friends not all the time but a little more often than yeah. you used to, which means they're going to notice and mm -hmm. then they're going to ask, like, everything okay? Yeah. You know? And so then it sort of opens up this this potential can of worms and then you feel shame about it and, and that stops people from doing it. Yeah. Okay. So shame and then uh, did you touch on fear? Yeah. I mean, so, uh, you know, kinda I think go hand in hand. they, they kind of go hand in hand. Um, I, I think the thing with shame and fear, I, I think a couple things. So one- you're not alone. So use that as like a, a piece of comfort to know that you're not the only idiot in the world, even though you feel like it. And you're not an idiot. And you're, you're not. But well, yeah, I, when I say the only idiot, I'm just saying like, that's the pressure we put on us. You're right? an idiot, but you're not the only You're not idiot, the only one. So no. that's, okay. <laughs> that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you, we're all kind of idiots. Well, you out. feel that way. That's how you feel. You're like, I'm the only idiot in this whole world who can't figure this out. And that, that's just not true, um, is that this stuff's really hard. And, um, you know, we all we all have that that we're working towards. And so the, this whole like idea of not letting shame hold you back and starting to act like a bison does go hand in hand with fear because it they work together. And what I wanted to share really was I shared this actually a couple of weeks ago, I think, but I'm going to share it again, is this quote from Dune. And I remember reading this the first time and reading it and going like, oh, okay, whatever, <laughs> and not really, I don't know, fully grasping it. And it's it's in the book a number of times. And the more I read it and the more I got like what they were saying, the more it really, really just hit home with me. And so the quote is, I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will per I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it has gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where the fear has gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. And it's sort of a, a mantra that certain characters in the book repeat to themselves when they're facing something that's really, really hard. I really liked how they presented it in the movie. I won't ruin anything, but, you know, it's like a really intense scene where the mom is worried about her son. Yeah. And so you see her, she kind of has this moment of where she's becoming, like, overcome by fear. Yes. And she's about Para to break down. By it. Yeah. She's she's on the border of like breaking down. And then she kind of recites this to herself and like really kind of focuses on what's in your control. Yeah. Well, it's it's very it's a very stoic uh, way, right? And this idea of so where it comes in here is if you allow fear to paralyze you uh, to staying as a financial ostrich, it's recognizing that that's the little death, like the way that quote quote reads as fears the mind killer that's the little death and that brings the total obliteration with in this case your money if you allow the fear to hold you stagnant that's the first 
financial death, if you will. And if you don't get out of that, it will ultimately end with you never being able to overcome it and never really get to the place you want to get to with your money. Totally. Um, I love this too, because uh, Nick and I have been doing a, we talked about it. Was that last week that we talked about it? The precept Bible yeah, study? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So we've been doing a study of Joshua. So the studies like you watch a, after you do your week's homework or whatever, you watch a lesson from Kay Arthur. And so we were watching um, one from Joshua and she was talking about how in Joshua, there's the repeated call for Joshua to be strong and courageous. And she talks about how to do that. And you do it by like holding on to God, you know, staying in God's word. And what was the third thing? I know what you're saying. Uh, Courageous was like holding, gripping, gripping onto God. And then uh, obedient was uh, being in the word and meditating on the word so that you have it. Uh You have it in your mind. Yeah. But she talked about how that allows you to have success, but success is not what we normally define it as she talked about how success is being able to navigate a difficult situation with a clear head. Mm -hmm. And, and so when you do that, you're able to stand through difficult situations. And it's so interesting, like to think about how that applies to all these difficult situations that we face in life, you know, and it can be so easy to kind of lose your head when you're like trying to deal with your finances and you start looking into all this stuff and like you feel like your situation's even worse than you thought it was and you just don't know how you could ever possibly like make any progress and whatever. And I mean, like, you know, we've talked about this house. I've kind of felt that way with our house a little bit, you know, just like overwhelmed and like you can't think straight. And the way to get through all of that stuff is like focusing on God's word and like staying in God's word and being able to meditate on it and know what God says and know the truths of the Bible and how that helps us navigate everything, including our finances. And I I just thought it was cool. You know, as we're doing these studies, you just, you see it apply in your life. Yeah. It, it goes back to, like you said, knowing knowing that and meditating on it and having it in your mind so that when the tough times come, you can sort of recite that to yourself and sort of help push you through it with a clear head. Yeah. So just so that I do her justice, she talked about, you know, first you get a grip on God, which is being in God's word on a regular basis. And then two, you don't fall apart at the seams. And being in God's word on a regular basis is what allows you to not fall apart at the seams when you're dealing with all this difficult stuff and feeling overwhelmed. And then um, three, you don't depart from God's word. So like you're, you're in it regularly, you meditate on it, like you don't get distracted by life and go a month without reading your Bible. Yeah. But you meet a lot of resistance to doing totally what you should be doing. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Well, with, and with your money, like you said, like if you know the right things to do, like if you're trying to handle your money well, we know, oh, okay, great. I should spend less money than I make. Let's start there. Mm-hmm. It's easy to say. It's easy to know, but it can be very hard to do. Mm-hmm. And I really don't, I don't even know how to describe it other than saying resistance. Yeah. You know, when you have that habit that you've been wanting to implement and it's like it's in your head, you're thinking about doing it. And for some reason, you just like can't. And that's very uh, Stephen Pressfield and the War of Art. uh, That book, the whole book basically is about resistance and Mm -hmm. about um, he sort of almost personifies resistance and, and how resistance plays out in all these ways. And one of the things I really like about it, since you're bringing that up, one of the things I really like about that idea is that he talks about resistance. This is not. Not always the case, you know, it's not black and white, but very often that resistance is uh, a compass. You can use that resistance 
as a guide to where you really should be going. Yeah. Like if you don't feel any resistance to, you know, uh, splurge, um, constantly overspend and do nothing all day long except sit on the couch and yeah. watch Netflix. Like if I want to go eat dessert, I don't have any resistance no to that. No resistance to that. Yeah. Yeah. But if you're wanting to eat like, I'm going to eat a salad. Uh, yeah. Get a little bit of a, of resistance right yeah. there. Yeah. I'm like, mm, I mean, I don't know. Is this spinach still good? Yeah. Oh, it doesn't expire for another week. Oh, well, uh, uh, I mean, but is that, yeah, you can, you just play all these games with yourself to try to like talk yourself out of it. And he, and he talks about that and talks about with his, you know, with his creative work of writing, writing books, he, he wakes up, he feels so much resistance to writing and he'll go and do all these other things that he feels no resistance for. Mm-hmm. But the thing that he needs to be doing is the writing. And so, he often will um, almost flip the script and reframe that resistance in his mind of actually being thankful for the resistance because that acts as a compass that points to him and tells him exactly what he should be doing. Yeah. And so he's like, oh, I'm so glad this is here because now I know what I should do mm-hmm. and I can I can go forth and, and do it a little bit easier knowing that, ah, that's the, that's the thing I'm not wanting to do and that tells me that's what I should be doing. And along with that, that kind of feeds into um, learned industriousness. Yeah, you were telling me about um, the email that Krista... Yeah, so Krista Stryker, she has a website, The 12-Minute Athlete. We've talked about her before. She has a great email newsletter, and she's kind of been branching out into self-improvement and psychology and all that kind of stuff, too, I would, as it relates say, to working out. I was going to say, the, the mindset side of working out, almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And... She, this is a direct quote from her email. One of the main ways to build self-discipline is to teach ourselves to enjoy hard work. In psychology, this is called learned industriousness or the belief that effort and self-discipline lead to our desired outcomes. In this way of thinking, effort becomes a good thing rather than something to avoid. In other words, we begin to believe that the hard work we're putting into our workouts or other pursuits today will pay off later. When we reframe effort in this way, the reward-related parts of our brain start firing when we practice self-control or pursue a difficult task. Our brains actually begin to associate hard work with rewards. Hard work starts to become more enjoyable. As a result, it becomes easier to be self-disciplined. So I just thought that was really, I don't know, I thought that was really interesting and how I think we all say like, oh, yeah, the way we think and the way we talk to ourselves and kind of our inner dialogue matters. But to really think about it, like changing the way that like your brain is firing and registering like reward Mm -hmm. responses, you know what I'm saying? And so like when you start to when you start to think of when you get out of bed to work out in the morning, it's not taking away from your sleep. It's helping get you to your health goals and helping you have a longer, healthier, higher quality of life. Yep. Um, you know, so when you think about all the things it's giving you instead of all the things it's taking away, it changes like how your brain is actually registering that, not just how you're talking about yeah, it. Yeah. I mean, it literally can change your brain chemistry for mm-hmm. the association, that association response, like, you know, dopamine hit, if you will. Yeah. And so when you when you're doing money stuff and you make the conscious decision to not spend money on something and it's really hard, like oh, I'd really kind of like to go do that thing, but it just doesn't make sense right now in my, in my situation. Recognizing that choice is not taking this experience away from me; it's giving me the opportunity 
to go and have other experiences in the future that mm-hmm. are more important to me. Yep. Yeah, and it's it's something that I've been very blessed, I guess, in a lot of ways with my mindset of being able – I learned that early. And you joke about how I I literally will get more joy – not always, but sometimes I will get more joy out of not spending money so that I can see the number in, in my budget still yeah. sitting there. Mm-hmm. Than I would uh, by actually spending the money because then I see the number go down. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, you do that with your spending money all the time. You're constantly talking about how much spending money you have. And it's really not. It's not from this place of like you rubbing it in. It's Mm -mm. just like the way you enjoy your spending money is seeing that you have spending money there. Yes. And then not spending it. Yeah, it's weird, right? Like I, I just really, really value uh, I, I've I've trained my brain to really value that future flexibility. And mm-hmm. when I see that number sitting in my spending money category that's still bigger and it's there, that tells me like, oh, well, what if I come across something that I really want and I'll just have the money that I can I can get it. And so I do, I almost get a dopamine hit by not spending my spending money this month mm-hmm. because of what it might allow me to do in the future. Now, obviously, that has its own, right, uh, all all things in moderation. You can go extreme on this end, too, and end up never spending any money on things that matter and just hoarding it, being a Scrooge McDuck, and that doesn't work either. But there is a little bit of reframing your brain that is helpful here for recognizing that the discipline uh, brings its own set of, of dopamine hits, if you will. So with all that being said, why don't we dive into some practical ways to act like a bison with your money? I think the first one is you need to assess your current situation. So this means uh, you need to go and figure out if you're in debt, how much debt do you have, right? We just need to write down our current debts and our current assets and figure out where are we, right? Um, there's a lot of people that don't even necessarily know how much money they make per month. I saw this really interesting thing about sort of an aside, but it just goes to show how the natural path is to think short term and in the moment. There's this guy that I follow on Twitter who has been having a hard time getting someone to or getting someone to fill a job position at his company. And he was posting the salary uh, as a monthly number. Right. So this position pays this much per month. And he was having a hard time getting enough applications to fill this position. And he said that once he changed it to an hourly rate, not a monthly rate, he all of a sudden got a ton of applications and was able to find a a good applicant, a good person to join the team. And I just thought that was really interesting because it shows the psychology of like a lot of people could tell you how much they make per hour or like what that paycheck is per week. But they don't necessarily have a good and, – and they could tell you what they could buy, right? They know like, oh, when I get paid, this is about how long that money will last me. But we don't always have a good feeling or a good understanding of how much we make per month or six months or a year and how far that money goes and, and how we can – what we can do with it because we don't think long term. So I think I think your first step is you got to know – where you're currently at. And I mean, another way to look at this, you know, I say it all the time about like, as if as if using your money was a road trip, and you just totally refuse to put your phone, you know, out of airplane mode, you turn the GPS off, you just start driving, and your phone has no clue where you're currently located. How, you know, what are the odds that you think you're going to end up there? It's going to be pretty slim. And so that's really all I'm asking you to do right now is to, to take a step in the bison direction, 
is to figure out your current location. Yeah. So when we're talking about like understanding your your situation, in Ramit's book, um, Ramit Sethi, I Will Teach You to Be Rich, he talks about like these internal money scripts that we have and how, you know, they're they're formed pretty early in our life, these things that we like internalize about money. Like things we say to ourselves. Yeah. And so one of the invisible scripts that he gives is like, I don't even know how much I owe. And he goes on to say, um, you know, like notice the hopelessness in this script. And he says, in his estimation, over 75% of people in debt don't know how much they actually owe. Um, that the truth would be too painful, so they ignore it. Um, but there's power in acknowledging the problem and making a plan. And, I mean, obviously, we totally agree with that. But the other thing that I wanted I wanted to point out here is that, like we were saying, if you ostrich, if you do the ostrich thing and you stick your head in the sand and you think, like, I'm just holding steady, just how much you're not just holding steady, especially if that holding steady involves credit card debt. Yeah. Um, so he gives this little... He gives this little example of, hang on, I want to find the one. He gives an example of like how long it will take to pay off your credit card debt if you're just doing the minimum payments. Okay, so here's his, this example that he gives. Credit cards high interest rates means you're likely paying a tremendous amount of interest on any balance you're carrying. Let's assume someone has $5,000 in debt on a card with 14% APR. If dumb Dan pays the 2% monthly minimum, it will take him more than 25 years to pay off this debt. No, that's not a typo. It's really 25 years. Over the entire process, he'll pay over 6000 in interest, more than the original amount he spent. And that's assuming he doesn't rack up more debt, and we all know he will. That was mind-blowing to me. I mean, I... Yeah, to a certain level, I knew that, but I've never like actually sat there and analyzed these specific numbers, you know? Yep. And so to read that, I mean, it's just like, man, you have got to be active with your money. You have to. And know what's happening to get anywhere. Well, and, you know, there's the whole quote about how the eighth wonder of the world is compound interest. Mm -hmm. And And that that, works in the opposite direction, too? That works in reverse. Mm -hmm. You know, that will absolutely eat you alive. Totally. The the second way to sort of be practical, uh, like a bison with your money, would be to work towards building up that financial discipline muscle. This really goes back to what you were saying with Krista Stryker and finding ways to to really work that muscle out. And and it sounds weird to say it that way, but in the same way that you would lift weights to work your physical muscles, what are like some small ways that we can start to exercise our financial discipline muscle? Yeah, so even just like being in the store, wanting to buy something and going like, I'm going to pull up my budget and look and just see what's going on before I make this purchase. Yep. Not even saying that it's going to impact your decision on whether or not to buy the thing, yep. but just that you're going to force yourself to look at your money situation before, before you buy you do it. it. And I guarantee you that it will feel hard to do that. And so knowing like, okay, by pushing through and by doing this thing that's hard, like it's it's helping me. Yep. And, and so just recognizing like the resistance is the way. Well, and that builds your confidence muscle too, because if you can do that small act, then you go, okay, I did that. Yeah. And then the next time that you're in a similar situation and you need to do it again, it's a little bit easier because you're like, you know what? I believe I've done it before. I can do this again. Yeah. And the other thing is, I think that you will probably notice if you do that, Say you do that, you see that you really don't have the money to make that purchase, but you make it anyways, you'll probably notice like, I don't even really fully enjoy this thing because I know it's yeah. it's like 
putting me in a worse financial situation. And so the next time you're faced with that decision, it will probably make it just a little bit easier to say no to that purchase, which will help move you forward in your finances. Because, you know, any forward movement in any area is just like these little small wins over and over and over again. And um, yeah, so it it can be something just that simple, just Tiny. making yourself look at the budget. Yep. Yep. One of the things that I'll do when I'm working with somebody who's really struggling with looking at everything that they have and everything that's going on is we just massively simplify what they're tracking. And so I think a lot of people will get overwhelmed and want to track, okay, well, Nick said, Hannah said, I'm supposed to look at my stuff. Uh, and so they'll create this this uh, spreadsheet or budget or whatever that's got 75 categories to track everything under the sun. And there's a lot of resistance to that. Mm-hmm. And so oftentimes what I'll do is is like, no, literally like create a three-line budget, one called bills, one called discretionary spending, and then one called savings. And that's it. And just start there. And you can always add more details and track more over time. Yeah. Okay. The final kind of action step is to plan. So like we said earlier, you know, Ramit's quote, the difference between rich people and everyone else is that rich people plan before they need to. And I mean, that's just so true. You just see that being true over and over again in all areas of life. Well, and literally, if it wasn't true, then someone isn't going to be rich very long, right? This is the whole, um, I haven't read the book yet, but I really want to read the book, uh, The House of Vanderbilt. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even if you were born on, you know, third base, as they would say, right? Or with a silver spoon in your mouth, even if you were given all the money in the world and you were rich, but if you don't plan, you won't be rich for long. Mm -hmm. And so to Ramit's point, you have to plan. That's the only way you're going to maintain that. Otherwise, you're going to be like an ostrich and slip back. So acting like a bison means you're facing the storm. You're looking out into the future. You're saying, what things could throw my finances off? Uh, what things about my situation might be particularly difficult that I could plan for? And then choosing to walk into that and walk towards that storm before it gets to you so that you can make a plan for it. And, and you know, like a bison, you're taking control over how the storm affects you rather than standing still and letting the storm affect you however it will. Yeah. And also planning from the perspective of like having a clear vision of what you're working towards yep. so that when it is hard and you that storm is really super duper unpleasant, like you remember why it is that you're walking into it and going through it. Because when you first start tackling your money in a way, it does feel like you're creating problems for yourself. Yep. You're not, because eventually those problems are going to catch up with you. It's just a matter of when. Just a matter of time. But when you when you face the storm, when you walk into it, when you plan ahead and, and make a plan for how you're going to do things, it can feel like, my life was so much easier before I started this, so why am <laughs> I doing this, you know? Yep, yep. Well, and, and you know, a really practical way would be, hey, we're releasing this episode in late November 2021. And so that means that if you haven't been planning all year long for the holidays, it's probably going to be a little financially tight over the next six weeks. Well, why don't you take note of that this year? And try to track about how much you're spending on the holiday stuff, whether decorations or presents or everything, food. Kind of keep an eye on how much you're spending so that you have an idea. And then starting in January, create your little bank account, create a category in your budget and sock away a little bit of money so that 12 months from now, you're in a better spot to do it. You've planned. You're ready to go. 
and the storm of Christmas that can be a financial storm, even when it's supposed to be a really enjoyable time, uh, the financial storm can really dampen the whole situation. Well, next year, you'll be you will have planned for it, uh, and you can actually not have to worry about the money at all and just really enjoy uh, the season. And I want to do that. I mean, I, I want to enjoy Christmas. It's one of my favorite times of year. I, I Are you really trying love, to say that you like Christmas? I love Christmas, and some might say that I like Christmas, yes. What else do you like? Uh, stuff we like. All right, speaking of planning, getting ahead with your money, choosing to walk into the storm— what do you like in this week, Nick? I am really liking the Full Focus Planner by Michael Hyatt, uh, which is no surprise because I love all the books I've ever read by Michael Hyatt. I took Michael Hyatt's course on like best year ever. Hashtag not four, sponsored. Four years ago. I just really like his stuff. It really resonates with me. I love the way that he thinks about visioning and planning. And visioning. Yeah, is that like a verb? That. I don't know. I like it as a verb, though. I've been visioning. <laughs> to, to vision. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyways, his his planner, if you're looking for a a a journal or planning system that that is templated, I guess is what you would say, because you could go and do bullet journaling where you start with a blank journal and you kind of create your own system and for really how you're like going to do planning. Journaling, yeah. But it, it turns into more of a time thing. Like it's... I think it works for a I ton of people. A over for the me and it. you, it, it's almost too freeform. Yeah, I think. I, I think so too. Um, the what I like about Michael Hyatt's planner is that I like a lot of space for each day, and so he does a really nice. He's got this two-page layout for every day of the week, and so you have like your daily big three tasks. Then you have a little space underneath that for like other tasks. So like things you want to get done, but they're not as important. Then you've got a time breakdown. So like by the hour of your day, which I always put, love. Put some meetings in there yes. or, or time blocks or I whatever. I love when you have that. And um, and then you've got a page for notes and anything that comes up throughout the day that you want to mark down. And then in the back, they've got a little um, uh, index thingy. So in the back, they've got this index. And, you know, if you write something down on a on a particular notes page, you're like, oh, I'm going to need to come back to that. Then you can go and mark it down in the index and, and easily Say reference page that back later. 32, yep. uh, and, a, you know, just a quick blurb about what note you wrote down. Yeah, so that's only a small portion of, of what this planner has in it. But they have been very thoughtful in they, how they've laid it they out. They know what they're doing. So we're... We the way the planner works is that it's by quarter. It's a three month at a time kind of thing. Uh, that's how much is in one individual, you know, journal. So uh, this is our first quarter trying it out. We're both using one. We've really enjoyed it. I think we're definitely going to buy one for next quarter. And I also want to say that I went into it thinking like I'll try it once with Nick. Yeah, but I don't think I'm going to be into you were, it. You were pretty resistant, not resistant to trying it, but resistant like I don't think this is, I'm going to yeah, like it. I was fine to try it, but I just I was like mm, it's probably not going to be probably for not me. for us. But yeah, yeah. So anyways, we're however many weeks we're into this quarter, like four, six, six weeks or so, and uh, have have really dug it. So if that sounds like something you would like, check it out. All right. You want to give us a quick summary? Yeah. So, you know, the the summary is uh, bison walk into the storm. They don't hide and stick their head in the sand like ostriches. And ost- ostri. Ost- oh, did we decide? It is ostriches. Ostriches. Okay. But keep saying ostri. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they, uh, the, the bison, uh, they walk into the storm. And so we would encourage you, we want you to become a financial bison and actually start to think long-term, acknowledge where you're currently at, 
and take action. Don't don't be passive. Actually start walking into the storm, face it, and move towards it. And if you have shame, if you have fear around this, recognize that you are not the only one um, and that all it takes is a really, really, really small step in the direction of the storm to start changing uh, your identity from a, an ostrich to a bison. So, Also, one more little side note, Full Focus Planner is going to be having a Black Friday sale. Oh, I would, I, they always do. Yeah, yeah they so, always do. And you can get early access to it if you sign up for their emails and like text messaging things. So yeah. if that is something you're interested in, I don't know how good the sale will be, but good, check it out. Good time of year to check it out. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's all we've got. As always, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week.